Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And today, we are handing out season awards for the 2021 season that just wrapped up. Josh Marlowe is alongside of me to help me do that. We will also tell you about a couple of significant losses to the Tar Heel recruiting staff. Uh, that happened yesterday, so we'll give you some updates on that, as well as tell you about the performance of Taman Fox in the Hula Bowl that he played in yesterday as one of the uh, showcase games that you have after the conclusion of the season and before the NFL Combine. But first, wanted to just tell you guys a little bit about uh, what I heard the other day from Gene Chizik and Charlton Warren when they were introduced to the media, both guys on Thursday taking to the media stand along with head coach Mac Brown. And uh, Mac Brown threw out a couple of interesting comments uh, that I thought were potentially worth discussing here. Uh, in a minute, we'll talk about that, though. Let's talk about what we heard from the two guys that will be taking over on the defensive side of the ball, though. Uh, one thing that was brought up immediately and something that was a big part of the defense the first time that Gene Chizik was here, one of the mantras was limiting the catastrophics, the big plays. Uh, Carolina had a lot of issue doing that this year, especially down the stretch of the season. Uh, the final two games of the year were pretty much filled with those big plays that ended up killing this defense. And uh, he wants to make sure that those are not going to be the issues again. He said that he has not been able to really look at a bunch of tape so far. He's going to start doing that now that uh, he is on campus and, and, and settled in. But he did say that it was very noticeable that there were a lot of inconsistencies with this team defensively, which we knew that. And uh, that communication looked like it was breaking down a lot. Guys had their eyes in the wrong places. So that's going to be one of the main focuses for him. He also talked a lot about the attack mindset that uh, Carolina's defense just hasn't seemed to have over the last couple of years. So 
that's going to be a very important part of what they do. He will be calling plays. Charlton Warren will be helping him sort of build the scheme, build the defense in terms of recruiting and everything like that. Uh, that makes some sense considering that Chiswick uh, was the, the main guy coming back in this. That was uh, Mac Brown reached out to him and both guys confirmed that uh, there was no hesitation on Chiswick accepting the job. Uh, he did make the decree that he wanted to bring Charlton Warren back with him. Um, so it, Warren said, look, this isn't just a title. I am going to be involved uh, in building this defense, but Gene Chiswick is going to call the defense uh, during games this season. He gets to coach under his mentor, though, a guy that uh, Charlton Warren said he has a lot of respect for since working with him the first time here in Chapel Hill back in 2015. In terms of what Mac Brown had to say, there were a couple of interesting notes uh, from Coach Brown that I think are definitely worth talking about here. Uh, you know, it started on the defensive side of the ball uh, where he talked about Javon DeWitt, the outside linebackers coach and the special teams coach. He did say that that move was one that was really just a casualty of the transition. So that was a guy that maybe they were not 100 percent, you know, sold on, on moving on from uh, no matter what. But the fact that this is going to be a 4-3 scheme, there will not be outside linebackers, edge rushers like uh, in the previous scheme, that really renders that position rather useless uh, on the staff. And with the special teams, uh, Mac Brown did say that uh, this unit did show some signs of improvement, but nowhere near where he wants them to be. So uh, that was you know another element that went into this. So he will end up moving on, as we know. Larry Porter will take over as the special teams coach. Mac Brown confirmed that. This was a role that he had uh, under Gus Malzahn from 2018 to 2020 and had good success there. So not an unfamiliar spot for Larry Porter to be in. Uh, of course, he does coach the running backs as well, but he'll kind of be pulling double duty with that. And then the one other thing that was interesting uh, that I took away from this press conference was the fact that he did, and he kind of threw this one in there at the end quickly, did list off a couple of reasons why, but uh, this was not one where Coach Brown could be asked questions. He said there will be no changes to the offensive staff. That is official now. They are going to keep everybody in uh, in position uh, as part of that staff. So uh, he, he listed off a bunch of different reasons why uh, they – made this move because of the amount of success that they've had. Uh, but he did mention that they are going to uh, have to improve with tackles for loss and sacks, which is very obvious, and that he is going to be more involved in that area. That's what he said in his press conference the other day. I wanted your take on the offensive staff remaining intact and what you think about that. I don't think anybody's really shocked by that move because we feel like by this point it would have happened but I got to admit I really thought that a move at offensive line coach made some sense yes um, that has the ability to wreck your entire offense next year you're bringing in a new quarterback you still got to find an answer at running back. If you can't block, you can't do anything offensively. And look, I know Carolina's maybe there's more talent 
on the roster than there was when he got here. But you're also losing three offensive linemen? Yeah, yep, three three of your starting offensive right. linemen from this past year. And, and the guys that, look, even on a bad offensive line, graded out as your three best players. So... I, I, I just I just don't understand. That's one that there has to be a legitimate explanation. How so? Where's, where's the confidence level that Stacy Searles can get your offensive line to the next level? You couldn't do it with Sam Howell. Mm-hmm. You as great as that offense was in the year they made the Orange Bowl. If the offensive line was just a tad bit better. They probably win ten games. You lost. You lost games that year against Notre Dame because you couldn't block. That was the main reason why Notre Dame beat you because you couldn't block them in the second half. Mm-hmm. The big reason why you lost to A and M was yeah you were without some guys, but in the second half your offensive line was tired and worn down, couldn't block. And and look, those made more sense than some of the teams that you were beat up by this year. Those were extremely talented defensive fronts that were beating up on you. This year was just falling off a cliff. Mm-hmm. This was the worst offensive line that I have seen since I've been watching Carolina football. And it's not, to me, it's not even close. Because you were, what, what were we talking about the strength of this unit being back in the summer? The offensive line with five starters coming back. And every person on this offensive line that played a major role took a step back. That yep. is just wild to me. And that's a coaching issue. Right, and that's that's the point that I'm at. Look, the only explanation is that he just went out and landed a guy that's top 10 nationally. But but my thing about that is is I I get that do you is it really that cut and dry with Zach Rice that he is committing to play for Stacy Searles and Stacy Searles only? I'd really hope not for that kid. I don't think so. I think it's more of playing for Mac Brown, playing at a place that he visited a lot and that he became comfortable with and his family became comfortable with. And I don't know. I haven't had a chance to talk to him. I would like to talk to him and and, and maybe ask him that question of hey, is this a move that you made? Based solely on Stacy Searles, because if so, then yeah, you got to probably keep him in in place. That's a big that's that's a big get for you. He showed you in the Under Armour All American game that even though he wasn't perfect against some of the best in the country mm-hmm. on a week you know week of practice where you don't get the cohesion that you need, he's got the physical tools. He can play. Yep, he's gonna be out there a lot, and he's he's I'm, he's gonna be to me. I think he's going to be one of your starters next year. I would think it'd be better for him at guard because it's not as much of a learning curve, but we'll see. He's got that talent. The other element of it is you did bring in a transfer, Corey Gaynor, who was recruited to Miami by Searles. Yeah. So is this a recruiting-only move? Because i got to admit, if it is, I'm not... I'm not thrilled by that. I get you want to keep these guys on campus because they can be a big part of what you do next year. Yep. But overall, you've got to develop the rest of your linemen. You can't put everything in the basket of just the guys that you've recruited here recently. Well, what it does, it just adds emphasis to what we said 
entering the offseason, when it didn't seem like you were going to make moves at all, you got rid of Jay Bateman. That was You didn't have a choice after the bowl game. You still enter next year needing some results. You went 6-7 and seven this year. You were a preseason top-10 football team. You were picked to win your division, potentially make a New Year's Six bowl game. I'm not saying you got to win nine or ten games next year. You probably got to win eight, so we're feeling good about it. And I, if, if this offensive line doesn't take the next step, I don't care what you're doing on the recruiting trail because we're at the point now it's year four. You've got the you've got your guys in. You're recruiting the guys that you want. So now it's time to get the results. And that's going to be the struggle is you returned your entire offensive line and you regressed. And you're leading us to believe that after losing three starters who were graded as your three best offensive linemen, you're bringing in a once-in-a-type talent that this program hasn't seen in the offensive line in some time, but we're going to, we're going to get marginally better. That's, that's a really hard sell for an offensive line that has struggled more often than not. Yeah, their numbers, their numbers since he's been here are really, really bad. In every season that Stacey Searles has been in place, the Toriel offensive line in tackles for loss and sacks allowed have finished in the 110s or lower in the country. That is horrendous. So this isn't just a one-year issue, but this is somewhat similar to what we talked about with Jay Bateman in the mm-hmm. fact that you are progressing backwards each year. And you've got, uh, there's nothing, uh, you're talking about, you went from guys on that offensive line under Larry Fedora that were legitimate offensive line prospects. I mean, there were guys, the, the, the offensive line, that is one area where you can give Larry Fedora and, of course, the guy who was coaching those offensive linemen, Chris Kapilovic, a lot of credit. And Kapilovic, it makes sense. Where's he at now? Michigan State. Yep. It's a great offensive line. I get that he's done some things in recruiting. You've landed some some solid prospects. But, I yeah, I'm with you. I don't see how that is keeping him afloat solely. So we'll have to see. Again, that's an area where you're you're starting to get the talent. It's yep. maybe not at the level that you want, but there's enough talent here where you should be taking steps forward. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I'm concerned. And the other thing is, look, we'll, we'll also see because there's an element that they brought up especially with the sacks, which I think the tackles for loss should be what concerns people even more than the sacks. Sam Howell held the ball too long. We know that. That's mm-hmm. an element of his game. Drake May, we'll see. Is he able to get the ball out quicker? How does that work? I still don't... Right now, I'm still extremely concerned about the offensive line. And 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 look, the other thing, the other element of that is, is with Drake May, you're, ta- you're not talking about Sam Howell back there. This isn't a guy that's built like Sam Howell. He has a much thinner frame. If he takes as many hits and in the style of hits that Sam Howell took, he'll break. Jacoby Criswell is going to be playing a lot next year. <laughs> yeah. Let's just say that. So, interesting to say the least. The rest of the staff, and I saw people losing their mind over this. 
they were freaking out about the fact that Phil Longo is still in place. Guys, I don't know how to tell you this. Phil Longo is not leaving until he gets a head coaching job or Mac Brown retires. Yep. The offense is too successful to justify him leaving. I saw a lot of people questioning the red zone stuff. I get that. That's an area where they've got to improve. But are you with me in that I think that is just based on personnel more than scheme? Yes. I I mean, and it starts up front, too, what we just talked about. But I think you don't have the guys in in the red zone at receiver to go up and make the plays. Antoine Green started to show you a little bit late in the season that there was potentially something there. But you need to see more from your tight ends. Kamari Morales disappeared in the second half of the season. He had four touchdowns in the first half of the year, just one in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. And you need to play Bryson Nesbitt more. Yep, That guy needs to be on the field a lot, especially in red zone situations. So let's get to the awards for this season. And again, most people are probably sitting there saying, how in the world are you giving awards to a team that was 6-7 and seven on the season? But look, it wasn't all bad for Carolina. You had some good moments. You had some guys that played very, very well this season. And they deserve to be rewarded. So we are going to hand out the awards for this season. Mm. What's, my, um, what's, what's my award for having to talk about this team for four months? Your award is... I don't really know that you get to still host this podcast. Is that an award or a- That's an award because your energy level has sometimes been like the defense's energy level out there. Look, I've brought the heat every week. Okay. Sure. We'll so, leave it at that. So some of the some of the heat you didn't like, like when I said Dre Bly should have been fired. But every week I showed up. Yeah, you showed up and there were some times where you were sleepwalking. We will <laughs> we will give out our host grades as we do with the players on the website later on this month. But let's get into the season awards. Um, we'll 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 start. I think last year we started with player of the year. Let's let's get to that later. Let's let, let's start with some of the lower tier awards first. Um, now this one, I think this is fitting for what we just talked about. Coach of the year. Oh, there aren't there. I'm going to be honest. There aren't many guys that are, I think, in contention here. I think Lonnie Galloway deserves some credit Mm -hmm. because the development of Josh Downs, the in-season development of Antoine Green. So I think he he's definitely there. I think John Lilly, the tight ends coach, you got to look at him as well. That was a unit that was not really that involved in Phil Longo's offense the first two years. It wasn't heavily involved this year either to the point that, you know, Carolina fans, they they want someone at tight end to be as involved as Eric Ebron. And I don't think that Phil Longo's offense sets up No, like that. It, it, it never was. But he did a good job of getting three guys to be rather productive. Garrett Walston... Kamari Morales looked really, really good early in the year, and then Bryson Nesbitt, who we just talked about. But ultimately, I went with Larry Porter here. Came in, first-year head coach. He had a transfer running back that came in with him behind a struggling offensive line, still ran for 1,000 yards, 
And in that backfield, he had to juggle injuries to DJ Jones and Caleb Hood, who both flashed but were banged up and eventually was able to, you know, boldly enough put British Brooks on the field. He had a lot of success down the stretch of the season, almost helped you win that game against NC State at the end of the year. And now he's actually coming back and will be a part of your backfield next season. So my coach of the year, Larry Porter for the Tar Heels. A pretty good court, pretty good choice. I'd give no one coach of the year. Oh, I knew the, I knew where you were going. There. If 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 given the opportunity to do so. But no, he no, he, he's he's definitely worthy because if you would have told me entering the year Carolina was going to be that bad up front and Ty Chandler still ran for 1000 yards. And then British Brooks comes in the final two games of the year and looks spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the fact that he didn't run the ball again after his touchdown run against South Carolina, mind blowing, mind blowing, still gonna piss me off all summer long. That's that's coaching, and and that's because you had to teach your running backs during the season how to run around crappy blocking and how to find other ways to still be productive in the run game without being productive up front. And so that's the really big key. And I think we all expected him to come in and kind of have that impact because he'd been here before and stuff like that. But we also thought Carolina was going to be better up front. We thought it was going to be easier to run the football. You thought you were going to get more out of your other running backs. You really didn't. It was Ty Chandler, Ty Chandler, Ty Chandler, and then you got British Brooks at the end of the season. So that's going to be the thing about Carolina going into next year. There's still a lot of talent in the in, in the room. They don't lack running back talent. Well, you got to give Porter a lot of credit, too. Landed George Petaway right. in the class and Omarion Hampton, two guys that a lot of people think kind of fit that mold of Javante Williams, Michael Carter. So, That's huge. You know, the thing going into next year with you're breaking a new quarterback and stuff like that, this guy just proved to you his running backs can still produce if mm-hmm. your offensive line isn't good and stuff like that. And that's going to be a big thing because Carolina, you would imagine, unless Drake May is just, or Jacoby Criswell, they're just that dude. They're going to be a running football team in September, easing into the passing game, yes. maybe into the back half of October, maybe even November before they become – they really start throwing the whole playbook at these kids. So, you know, that's going to be a really big thing. And I, I do feel more confident that with Larry Porter back on staff that and, and what he can do, Carolina's going to be a really good running team for years to come. He did a fantastic job with, with tough circumstances this year. For sure, for sure. Let's move on to freshman of the year. Now, this one was tough because there weren't a lot of guys that produced like the year before where you had, you know, Jaquarius Conley become a starter, where you had Tony Grimes become a starter. So, yeah, this one, uh, it took me a little bit. I had to kind of go back and forth here because I thought at the end of the season when he got his opportunities, Power Eccles looked really, really good out of the inside linebacker spot. But ultimately, I had to go with uh, with Javari Ritzy here. I think that interior defensive lineman, he didn't play as many snaps as people probably thought early in the season, but when he flashed, he showed a lot of potential. He's still got to put on some weight. Mm. He's got to get more physical. But you could say that about just about every defensive lineman <laughs> every defensive on player. the team. <laughs> um, but I, I think... You can see some of the flashes here at times. You can see why this guy is such a highly rated recruit. And he looks like he is going to be a big part of the future. But ultimately, I mean, you're talking about on the offensive side, there was really no one. I mean, Caleb Hood 
was probably your most productive freshman this season. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean this this was one where I think it just kind of came down to you know the 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 guys that played the most significant snaps on the defensive side of the ball, and I, I went with Ritzy, but I think you can make a pretty good argument for Power Eccles as well. Yeah, I think I don't remember if it was the Georgia State game or the Virginia game that we were at, and I think I looked at you and said, "This guy's this guy's going to be a dude." And when you can see that with a guy who's still undersized, a freshman, in a defense that wasn't getting the most out of anyone's talent on the field. That shows up the player he's going to be. Gene Chizik's going to get the most out of that kid, I, I do believe. And if Carolina can get back to being just good up front, they don't got to be great. They don't got to be dominant. It's going to go a long way for this defense. He gives you that that ability because he's he's got quick feet. He's got hands. Yep. He's got everything that you want. It's just putting it all together and being able to dominate up front. So, And then you have Power Eccles. You saw moments, and usually it was in in moments where the game was out of sorts and stuff like that, where he was getting his. But you could see the speed, you can see the athleticism. Mm-hmm. I mean, he got ejected on a on a kickoff play because he just knocked the crap out of somebody. He's gonna he's gonna hit some people. Yeah, he's not a guy that's you, you're gonna be afraid is not gonna bring the physicality. So they're they're gonna be a lot of fun. Gene just didn't have this type of talent at linebacker when he was defensive coordinator. You were getting the most out of what you got. <laughs> I mean, again, we've talked about it before. I, I love Jeff Schottmer. Jeff Schottmer was a converted walk-on safety that became a middle linebacker for you. Power Eccles is a guy that from the start of his high school career as a freshman, people knew he was going to be one of the best players to ever play in the state of North Carolina. Yeah. So to go – I mean, it's just such a step up. Now, look, he he was a guy that had, had some missed tackles, just like the rest of the linebackers. That's an area that they've got to get cleaned up, playing a little bit smarter. But it makes sense. He was a true freshman – and you know, with him, you got to give him a lot of credit. Remember the first game he played the most, the, the the most significant snaps in was Wake Forest because you had Jeremiah Gimmel get ejected from mm-hmm. the game. He ended up having to play in that game, and that's the game you won. So you, you pulled the upset over Wake Forest Wasn't with him upset. at linebacker. And I mean, that was you, you don't do that with without him. But with Ritzy, I think you're right. And the other thing with him is I think out of the group of guys that you're looking at with the young defensive linemen, he might be the guy that benefits. Him or Miles Murphy, I think, will be the guys that benefit the most from a four-man front as opposed to a three-man front. Yeah. Because they're not going to be able to get doubled as easily. That was one of the issues I felt like that, like with Ritzy. They, they, they were trying to figure out where exactly he fit. Mm-hmm. He got doubled a lot. And, you know, the speed of the game, I think, took him a little bit of time to get used to. But yeah, there there were moments where he made plays on the field that made you say, "Man, the Tar Heels got a real special one in here." Yeah, I think him as an as as one of those two defensive tackles next season, maybe not as a starter just yet, but I think he's going to be able to be pretty impactful coming up in twenty twenty two. We go last year we had comeback player of the year here. We gave that to Patrice Renee. This year we don't have a guy a, a lot of guys that really came off of injury. Not like the year before. So we're going to go with most improved player this year. So this is somebody that has, you know, was a a starter or, you know, at least played a significant role a year ago. And this year took a pretty significant step forward. I think Miles Murphy had to be under consideration here. The problem for Miles Murphy is the second half of the year 
almost completely disappeared. And I think, again, that goes back to the three-man defensive front. He's a guy that's going to fit a little bit better um, in a different scheme. Antoine Green, at wide receiver, especially in that second half of the year, he was a guy that last year had two catches the whole season. And most people were wondering, would he ever have a role here at Carolina? So to end up being the second leading receiver and down the stretch, I mean, look, in, in the bowl game, he was your best receiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, down the stretch, he became your your solid number two guy, and it's it's a good thing that you are bringing him back next year. That's a step for him. The guy I went with though was great was Grayson Atkins, the kicker. Carolina needed him down the stretch of the season, and early on in the year, this is a guy that just in season improved as well. Just like Green, he was six of ten on field goals. When we gave out the midseason grades after the the week seven game against Miami, he finished nineteen of twenty three. Not bad. He hit his last thirteen, and he and he was. This wasn't a guy that was just hitting chip shot field goals. He hit the one in the game against NC State that we thought won the game from fifty. No problem. So for him, I think he definitely deserves a lot of credit because. He was someone that early on in the year we were kind of saying to ourselves, you know, did, should should we have looked into keeping Noah Ruggles? And at the end of the year, you could see Grayson Atkins really took a step forward and finished his career well. Yeah, it's really a down year though when your most improved players is is a, is a kicker. But for Carolina, I mean, look, special teams the first two years they were costly. Mm-hmm. They cost Carolina games. And you got you brought in Grayson Atkins, who was an FCS legend at Furman, was mm-hmm. it? Yep, Furman. Yep. And you know it it didn't translate last year, but this year you really saw the leg really come alive. And like you said, you thought in that NC State game he won you the game, should have won you the game. Um, your defense, you know, falls apart and that doesn't happen. But he made big kicks when Carolina needed him to make big kicks because. The offense stalled out sometimes on drives, and sometimes you had to settle for three, then you didn't want to. And go back, go back to that Wake Forest game. Carolina kicked a lot of field goals, mm-hmm. and they did that because they were confident that he could make the field goals because they knew going in, okay, we it was going to be a track, but we got to get points. And sometimes, you know, you were going to get three instead of six, and you had to be comfortable doing that. And that was because you knew with him, okay, he's going to put the ball through the net, we're at least going to get something out of this possession. So. Gonna be something hopefully that uh, Carolina can keep up because the kicking woes for, for a young team next year they can cost you a game or two. Yeah, yeah that that's gonna be the concern is that you know we saw Jonathan Kim kick a couple of times but we haven't really seen it a whole lot. Yeah, and outside of that nobody else has experience. So unless you're getting a transfer kicker, you're probably going to be running guys out there that are first timers. So yep. we'll have to wait and see on that one. Uh, but that could be a tough loss for Carolina. How about breakout player of the year? I went with Cedric Gray because early in the year, wasn't even a starter, came out of nowhere, ends up becoming a starter for this team and leads the defense in tackles. Um, I, I, I mean, you just... Again, he he had some struggles at times with missed tackles in open space. There was there's no doubt about that. There's still room for improvement, but 99 total tackles, six tackles for loss, two and a half sacks, two huge interceptions in the game uh, against 
Uh, that they had both of them against Wake Forest, I believe, right? Uh, that might be correct. And three pass deflections. So mm. did a lot of different things for you. I have him as the breakout player of the year. I would have went Josh Downs had I been host of the podcast and more importantly been given uh, say and who got the awards. There's no denying, though, what said Gray did. Um, you took over for Eugene Asante, a guy who we both had high expectations for entering the season. Mm-hmm. One of us, not going to say who, had a bold prediction he was going to top 115 tackles. You. And it didn't happen. And that was the one thing. You had to give credit to the to, to Jay Bateman and the like. They they made that move. They they were willing to put Eugene Asante on the bench to bring in Sed Gray. Remember, leading up all during the summer and after the Orange Bowl, he's a natural fit of the position. We're gonna get more out of him. Yep. Didn't happen. And this guy came in. And the thing about him, and you can you can say it for maybe Jeremiah Gimmel as well. You never question his effort. You never question his heart. He gave you everything he had. And when he didn't make plays, it wasn't from a lack of trying. It was just he didn't make the play in that in that moment. And so that was a that was a really big key, I thought, for Carolina. Like their defense, you take away what happened against Notre or Wake Forest and Notre Dame, the back half of the, the schedule before the bowl game, they 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 did some nice things enough before the collapse at NC State. And said Gray was a big part of that. Yep. He's going to be a big part of this defense entering next year. And you give Gene Chizik him, and you've got the talent with Eccles and Ra Ra Dilworth and those guys. This linebacking core can be good next year. And if it can be good, Carolina's, gonna, Carolina's defense is going to look good. Because when it's when it was good the first year with Surratt, Gimmel, look at what Carolina did. Mm-hmm. It kind of dipped last year because you couldn't get pressure up front. But, you know. He was a lot to fun watching him develop. Even though the defense struggled, you could watch him and say from game to game, from week to week, from snap to snap, he became a better football player with Jay Bateman, with Jay Bateman being his coordinator. That's pretty tough to do. Yeah, and, and a lot of credit there needs to be, uh, you know, handed out to Tommy Thigpen as well, who worked on, you know, with him on that. And and look, coming at a at a high school, you know, he played linebacker in high school, but he also played wide receiver. He was a thinly built guy. He was somebody that. You know, you looked at and said, is he really going to be able to play outside linebacker and have a lot of success there? He's put on weight, and he played extremely well with it on. But it doesn't take away from his his ability to cover in space. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, to, to finish as the leading tackler by 26 tackles for a team that you did not start the first two games of the season for, or, I mean, even in those games, played but did not play significant snaps – Mm-hmm. I mean, is amazing. So, yeah, I mean, what a season for him. I also have him as the defensive player of the year. I think, you know, Tamon Fox is going to be up here, 10.5 tackles for loss, nine sacks, best numbers of his career, 33 total tackles. But, again, it's just the ebbs and flows, the inconsistencies for him. Yep. Miles Murphy, I think, would have been in this conversation the just based on the, the first year. half of the yeah. year, but he fell off a little bit at the end. He only had a half a tackle for loss in the second half of the season. Cameron Kelly would be in here if you take away some of the coverage gaffes. If if he was more consistent, no doubt he'd be the guy here because he has 68 total tackles, 
four interceptions, three pass deflections. He came up huge for you at times. But he had some of the biggest blown coverages of the year. He single-handedly got you beat against your rival So when you're trying I mean, to salvage a lost season. It's tough. And then Jeremiah Gimmel, I mean, good, good year. But I think just that's pretty much what it was. I mean, we expected him with Chaz Surratt gone to take a significant step forward. 73 total tackles, six and a half tackles for loss, one and a half sacks. You know, did some good things for you, but I still feel like Gray was head and shoulders yeah. above him. We don't have to, you know, run through the accolades again, but when you look at that, I mean, that's that's would he be your defensive player of the year and 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 all who would be who would be the guy that you think is closest out of that group? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Miles Murphy maybe would have had a chance back in the middle of October. Cameron Kelly, if he just didn't have brain farts at the worst opportune time, maybe. Jaquarius Conley, the first month of the year, was yes. the best defensive player that for was Carolina. Another yep. But, yeah, I mean, for a guy to not start the first two games of the year, to then lead the team in total and tackles by a pretty wide margin, that's 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 significant work. That's that's hard to that's that's hard to overcome and. And so, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's really hard to give a defensive player of the year out because of how bad this unit was. But if there's one guy that was deserving of that, it was said, Gray. And look, that's the thing. Look, even in bad seasons like this, not everybody is going to play terribly. This is a guy that coming into the season, we had talked about him maybe being a rotational piece. Remember that. Carolina's linebackers, that was the group that in the first two years under Jay Bateman rotated the least of any group. It was Chaz Surratt and Jeremiah Gimmel, and that was it for two seasons. Dude. So, I, we, we I, I remember, honestly, coming into fall camp, he was somebody that I said to myself, he's there. You started hearing his name come up more and more as fall mm. camp went along. But you were still honestly thinking to yourself, we haven't rotated at linebacker in the first two years. How much is this guy actually going to play? Now he's your defensive player of the year. That's how significant of a step forward he took this season. I saw a lot of myself in said gray. My uh, seventh my seventh grade rec football team, we weren't very good. Because of you. I was the starting safety. Because of you, and yeah. I, and I led the team in total tackles by, Blown over, coverages as by well. over 50. There was games I was having 20, 25 tackles on a team that wasn't good. So, look, it's hard. Uh, it it's is. Hard it to, is hard to grab that flag off of somebody while they're running down the field. It yep. is extremely hard to be the best player on a bad unit but still show up and give the same effort and still try and all that because had he quit, who would have blamed him? They, nobody. Right. And so you you got to respect that that mental fortitude to still put his best best foot forward and stuff like that knowing he wasn't being put in the best situation possible. The defense wasn't being put in the best situation possible. You know there was negative feedback every day in the media from Twitter, Facebook, you, me, whoever. So yeah. I'm really excited to see him with the summer knowing he's going to be a starter, being groomed to be that the 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 leader of that defense, I think he's in store for big things in 2022. So a guy that was you know producing big things his entire career throughout his time at Carolina, offensive player of the year, I gave this to Sam Howe. I mean, you look at the statistics: three thousand fifty six yards, 
24 touchdowns, nine interceptions. Again, through the air, worst statistical season. But on the ground, 183 carries, 828 yards, and 11 touchdowns. He finishes every season of his career with 35 or more total touchdowns. Mm, And this year had the most total yards of any season that he's had at Carolina. So even though it may not have looked like it was a great season for Sam Howell, this is a pretty dang good season for a guy that needed, that pretty much needed to be the best player on the field every game for Carolina, or they weren't going to win. It stinks that they didn't win more games this season. That his defense, his offensive line, his receivers early in the year couldn't help him out. But he deserves the recognition here for a special season. The other competitors, obvious, Josh Downs and Ty Chandler, who had a pretty solid season as well in his one year as a transfer. Yeah, I mean, look, look, the season started with slinging Sammy. The season ended with scooting Sammy because he was doing it with his legs as well with his arm. And that was the most fun thing to watch as a Tar Heel fan was that in-season development where it was, well, we can't run the ball without Sam Howell. We're going to run Sam Howell. And he took a beating, and he was ping-ponging off defenders for touchdowns and literally willing his team sometimes to victories, sometimes to close heart, heartbreaking defeats. And that was the big thing. It's why he was it made it easier to go pro because he showed different elements of his game that he hadn't yep. shown the year before. And it was really just a lot of fun to watch him play. We got we got so we get so caught up in the emotions of winning or losing in that sports, and we, we play they play to win. And I want to watch them win, but being able to watch him grow this year was just as fun as his freshman year, just as fun as last year, despite the losses. So, got to give credit. Phil Longo got the most out of him. That's why he had to go to the NFL. He'd done everything he could do here. He had accomplished. He was not going to become a better player than he already was. And that's that's a big credit to the staff. And what he did this year with a bad offensive line and for the most part of the season, one legitimate wide receiver, and still putting up those types of numbers, not many of the quarterbacks in college football could have done that at the Power 5 level. No, I mean, he completely changed his game. I mean, this was an element that he had in high school, but the first two years that he was on campus, we saw him run the football a couple of times inside the red zone. Other than that, you didn't really see him utilize that much on the ground. This year, there were multiple games he led you in rushing, and he had to because if he didn't, then you were not going to have a chance to be in the game. So for him to completely change his game back to some of what he did in high school, mm. to nearly get knocked off the field at Miami, he took one of the hardest hits after a touchdown I think I've ever seen and got up and celebrated, pretty much won you that game, was huge. And he deserves some recognition again. How much does this award honestly mean? I don't think he's celebrating the fact that he won a Heel Tough Blog <laughs> podcast award. But that really hurts. He does it it does. It it truly does. We hope we have the impact where he enjoy it, it, he he actually hangs a plaque up or something. Maybe we'll send some plaques out. Get an NFT or something like that for him. But uh man, yeah, it just I mean, w- what a year for him and and it was a guy that from the start of the season we kept hearing over and over again. He just doesn't look the same. He doesn't look all that great. He didn't. And that was in part because I don't think people were really watching. I know there were some throws that he missed early in the year, 
But I still think, I mean, you look, I, I, I don't think that this season was a drop-off, really, of any sorts from any of the other years. I think he's he was kind of a steady, consistent player in college. The concern for NFL teams is did he get more, incrementally better throughout his career at Carolina? That's the conversation that you have there. But for this year, I think the people trying to knock this season for him, they just I I I don't think they watched a lot of him after that game, really after the loss to Virginia Tech, but I think primarily after the loss to Georgia Tech. I think people tuned out, and that hurts their opinion of what he what he was able to do the rest of the year. So, hey, player of the year, this one's obvious. You're probably asking where he's been so far. Josh Downs is your player of the year. Mm. Now, the thing that, you know, I don't know if I would say it's concerning, but... He had eight touchdowns in the first eight games of the year. He did not have a single touchdown in the final five games of the season. But when this dude had the ball in his hands. Electrifying. As as electric of a player as we have seen at Carolina from our time watching Carolina football. You mentioned it. At one point, he was pretty much Sam Howell's only receiver. And the numbers at the midway point of the season were truly unbelievable. With teams scheming to take him away, he was still that productive. And he finishes the year 101 catches, So, and that's just the fifth receiver in ACC history to do that. 1,335 yards and eight touchdowns. What a year for him. And, I mean, honestly, you know, you... you th- People were talking about how special he was coming in. I think he exceeded most of those expectations this season, especially with the volume of catches that he had this Mm. year and what he was able to do production-wise when he had the football in his hands. Yeah, he was a a special player to watch. He was a fun treat to watch, and uh, he's going to be on a lot of early season awards next year for receiver... Um, stuff like that, ACC Offensive Player of the Year, all that great stuff because of how great his numbers were. You look at no touchdowns the last five games, I told you that was going to happen at some point because you were playing better defenses that were going to be able to take him away just a little bit better. But it was also a byproduct of Antoine Green showing up. You you started using your tight ends just a little bit more than you were at the beginning of the year. So Phil Long is going to have to spend all summer long knowing, okay, they're going to be trying to take this guy away. I got a new quarterback. How do I still keep him involved and keep him engaged and get the ball in his hands as often as possible? But he was a lot of fun to watch. His ability to take a bubble screen and take it 70 yards to the house, just dynamic, game-changing. And uh, it's, it's what you expect with a guy with the first name of Josh. You expect greatness, and greatness was delivered. And just a lot of fun to watch him play and me to talk about him in a great way. I mean, at least there is one successful Josh that is involved with Carolina Athletics. We'll just say that. Yep. Um, single season leader in receptions. Previously, Ryan Switzer held that from 2016 with 96. Single season record holder for receiving yards in a season. Uh, topping the 2008 season from Akeem Nix. So, uh, and, and only a sophomore. So... 
potentially a long way to go here. Is a slot receiver, so it's going to be hard for him to go to the NFL early. But we'll see. What a uh, what a special year for him, though, and he deserves a ton of credit. Going to be one of those guys, uh, as you mentioned, a lot of watch list, and he's going to be a guy that everybody in college football will be talking about in the offseason as well uh, when it comes to this Carolina team. Won't be talked about as much as last year, but I think he's one of the reasons that they'll still be relevant. The NFL playoffs are here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is kicking things off with a huge offer. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any wildcard team to win their game. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team is victorious. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you still have something to play for this wildcard weekend. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use the promo code TPPN, and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TPPN this wildcard weekend at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Just wanted to give you guys a couple of notes before we get out of here. I did tell you earlier, uh, Tariels did lose Billy High. Uh, their assistant athletic director and general manager to Tennessee. That's his alma mater. That's a significant loss. That's a big part of what Carolina does recruiting-wise. Um, so that that is going to be one Carolina is going to have to replace uh, as soon as possible. That was a big hire when he came over from Auburn uh, under uh, head coach Mac Brown. And then Steven uh, Ruzik is heading to Auburn. He is uh, the assistant of di- assistant director of player personnel. So Carolina's got some uh, recruiting you know, uh, guys behind the scenes that they are going to have to replace this offseason. We'll see how they do that. Uh, this is not all that uncommon. These people change roles ve- you know, very often, uh, you know, but we'll, we'll see. Hopefully Carolina is able to replace those guys pretty quickly because right now that is a little bit of a tough blow for them. In terms of Taman Fox, played in the Hula Bowl yesterday, which is uh, one of those showcase games uh, out in Hawaii, and uh, he had a pretty solid game, uh, did recover a fumble in that one as well. So uh, a good chance for him to get himself on the map in a game that had some solid prospects out there. Um, not quite the type of guys that you'll see in the NFL PA Bowl, uh, and of course not at the Senior Bowl, which you'll see Sam Howell at. But uh, still a good opportunity for him, and he was able to take advantage of it. Uh, so, yeah, that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast, guys. Want to thank you guys. Uh, you know, you guys have done such a great job. There have been a ton of different, uh, you know, a ton of different articles that have had a ton of success on the website. You guys uh, have really been helping us out there. Make sure that you check out the website for all that great content. You don't want to miss it. Um, you know, we've got some stuff up there, of course, about the recent transfer of Travion Stevenson, the 
uh, you know, hiring of Gene Chizik back to Chapel Hill. We have something on the introductory press conference between him and uh, Charlton Warren, as well as Mac Brown, tell you about the biggest takeaways. Go a little more in depth than I went even here on the podcast. So make sure you check that out on the website. And of course, we're still going to have you prepared as we get towards the NFL draft. We are in offseason mode, so weekly storylines have returned as well. Uh, there's a bunch of great stuff that we're going to have for you here in the offseason. And we still got some recruiting stuff that we're going to be going through as well. So make sure that you guys are checking all that stuff out on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. You can check out all the great basketball coverage there as well. We encourage you to do that um, as the Tar Heels starting to round into form uh, in the ACC. They're starting to look a little more like one of those serious ACC contenders Big win uh, in their last game against Georgia Tech, 88-65, a dominant performance for most of that game. So Carolina really starting to look uh, uh, like, like a complete team on the defensive end of the floor. Now it's about finding consistency as they go throughout conference play. Josh has he covered on that. We also have you covered, me and him, on the basketball side of things on the Four Corners podcast. There's a tab for that and the Heel Tough Vlog podcast on the top of the page uh, on the website. Make sure you guys go check that out. Uh, and make sure you check out wh- your podcast wherever you listen to your podcast so that you can subscribe. Uh, it is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, all those great sites. Make sure you go, when you're on that page, hit that subscribe button so that every new edition of the podcast goes straight into your podcast library. Uh, also, want to encourage you guys to check out the Facebook page at Heel Tough Log on Facebook. That's where we have all the articles, all the audio editions of the podcast, all the video editions of the podcast, all in one spot for you. So make sure that you guys are checking that out. That's the best place to get all that content uh, in the groups. Uh, I know there are a lot of people in the Facebook groups that are listening uh, to this, that read the articles. That's great, but it's easier to just have it right on your timeline. Also, it will give you notifications when we are going live, everything like that, so that we don't have to worry about putting into the group because sometimes... Yeah, we do forget or we are doing something where we don't we are unable to share it into a group when we are premiering videos. So if you want to catch it right as it's coming out, make sure that you're subscribed. On uh Twitter, it's at Heel Tough Blog for the main page at HTB Anthony for me, at HTB Josh for Josh, and at Hack Zubber2 for Zach Hubbard. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. I want to thank Josh Rose to admit me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tony.